Today, instead, um, I have a special guest, and I am going to invite her to come up with me. This is my wife. I'll not be sharing any stories about her today, um, since she's here to witness herself. Um, Some of you have met my wife, and some of you may not have. Thank you very much. And I'm... Oh, and Kidmo can go. Yes, thank you. Kidmo can go. We're just going to take the mic. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That works. Is that good? So today's a little different because um, I'm going to be interviewing Deidre, and some of you may be here because I'm interviewing Deidre. Um, and we've been talking for the last few weeks um, about Friendship. And the reality that friendship is um, very much a part of the calling of our lives as Christians um, in the sense that uh, Jesus said, if I'm to sum up all of the teachings of the Law and the Prophets, everything in the Old and the New Testament, um, we would come down to the bottom line of uh, we are to love others and we are to love God. And so we've spent some time talking about um, what does that look like? Last week... We talked about the reality uh, that, especially in the marriage relationship, which is um, a microcosm of the relationship that we have between Christ and the church, is um, that leadership, headship, and just relationship in general, um, we find throughout Scripture is the process of placing one, um, the, the head or the leader supports the one they are leading or are head over. And in all of Scripture, we find that repeated over and over and over again in many different ways, that if we are going to follow the way of Christ, the way we follow the way of Christ is we elevate others above ourselves. Uh, This is one of the most difficult truths in all of Christianity uh, because there is nothing in our culture that rewards that type of behavior. Um, you will be accused of being walked over. You will be accused of being a pushover. Um, you will get walked over. You will be pushed over. Um, and But the reality is, is that there is this beautiful truth that begins to surface about life and the way we're created when we begin to recognize that loving and leading others means to come, come under and support and encourage and to build up. Today, um, I'm going to just introduce Deidre, and other than she is my wife, um, is Deidre is also the director of the Early Intervention Program at Siskin Children's Institute. Um, we have four kids, um, one of which uh, is adopted, and she came into our life initially through foster care. Um, and you, if you put the four of them together, you may not even be able to figure out which one the fourth is. Um, yeah, those who are laughing know that's not true. Um, yeah, Jonathan, he's uh, well, he's running slides, so I don't want to irritate him. So, um, but uh, we that that process and recognizing um, trauma and difficulty in um, that a, that a child can experience uh, have long term consequences. And so that that led us on a journey, but it specifically led Deidre on a journey, and I want her to share some of that with you. Uh, and for those of you who have joined us for the Trust-Based Relational Intervention Workshops, this is we're going to be talking about TBRI today, but um, I'm going to be interviewing because Deidre knows a lot more than I am, and then I'll do some correcting if she gets something wrong. <laughs> 
this is my one chance, y'all, to be up here. And <laughs> I've, I've had sermons for years that I have wanted to share. So <laughs> he just doesn't know what, what right, we're so about we're to do. we're going to go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Um, this was a good try. We tried. We tried. We tried. It didn't work. I want to remind us, as we enter into this conversation, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is uh, is based on how we were created and the fact that the world often causes sin and brokenness within us. We, we choose things that break us, but some things are not chosen by us and they still break us. I want to remind us that when, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, this is very good. Um, and so as we go through this, um, we want to share some of the basics of um, some attachment um, struggles that, that you may have based on how you grew up or even in some ways the way you live your life now and the people you do life with. We're going to be talking about that. Um, but then at, then we want to come back and we want to talk about what we believe that um, what we're going to share with you is the lens by which Jesus looked at people and then how do we ourselves continue to grow personally and how do we help others if we begin to see things through the lens um, of that Jesus used um, for others. Uh, this is um, the trust. I, I'm, I'm talking now because I'm not going to have much to say here for a while. But um, Karen Purvis is the person who who created this with some others. Um, she's no longer with us. I'm sure Deidre will share a little bit about that. Um, but this, she uh, was a pastor's wife. And also um, was very involved in child psychology. And um, in developing this, what we're talking with you initially, this was developed and meant to be understood in the context of faith and Christianity and has grown since then into something that is used by practitioners who don't don't purport to have faith, but yet its basis is still in this reality that we were made to be good and there is brokenness that happens. And then how do we move through that. Uh, This is a quote from Dr. Karen Purvis. She said, the longing of the human heart is to connect and belong. We long to connect with our creator in whose image we have made, we have been made, and by God's grace, such a connection is possible. As relational beings, we also have a deep need and desire to connect with those around us. One of the most important and meaningful human conditions is undoubtedly between a parent and a child. And I also just wanted to say, you're going to find that this, what we're talking about, is found throughout Scripture. Um, and Ecclesiastes 4.9-10 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another uh, to lift him up. All right? So that's kind of our introduction for what we're talking about today. Uh, and... Um, I'll just say, because Deidre wanted us to say this, neither one of us are experts in this. Um, I'm really not an expert in this, and I'm learning. Um, But Deidre has been um, through quite a bit of training in this and is one of only three people certified to do TBRI um, in our community, in our city, um, or our county. So so she does have more, she knows more about this than she's going to let on. Um, But all that... And I'm going to pass the baton to you and let you kind of kick off where we go from here. Okay. Yeah, I I wanted to emphasize that from the beginning that 
that I'm on this journey of learning, um, which began with our daughter Malia, who joined our family when she was two and a half. And um, we thought we understood a lot of what she would need. And we expected there to be some some challenges and some differences. But um, you know how you don't know what you don't know? And so as the years went on and, and it became apparent that she had some needs that were very different um, from what we felt equipped to meet. And so we are so grateful for her in, in so many ways. She's a treasure. If you know her, you know that to be true. She's a treasure to our family. Um, but I also thank God for the journey that she helped me start um, because it has led to discovering a lot of the things we're going to talk about this morning and um, what that meant for my own upbringing, the way I approach relationships, both with my husband, my other biological children with Malia, and even in friendships. And so these early ways that we learned to do relationship from our parents um, impact us for a lifetime and so we're going to talk about how sometimes brokenness happens in those early relationships. Um, but God is the great healer, right? And Jesus is our redeemer for things that have been broken and for healing that might need to happen. And so um, we're just going to approach this conversation in that context that we're all on a journey and, um, and also that what we're going to talk about today are patterns. And so as we begin talking about secure attachment patterns, um, I'm a mom, and I know there are moms in the room and dads, and um, sometimes we are uh, super hard on ourselves, and we begin to panic a little bit and think, hold on a minute, I messed up there, and I messed up there, and um, and so I just want to encourage us that what we're talking about uh, when we discuss secure attachment, it doesn't mean we are going to get it perfectly, um, and so I'm going to give that reminder a few times <laughs> that uh, none of us in the room are able to do this perfectly, um, but we have a Savior who's there to help us and help help us heal so we can carry out some of the things that we're going to talk about. So you're already using some language that some may or may not know. Okay. Um, and and if I say something wrong, correct me. But why don't you just, it, our hope would be that everyone grows up in, in the um, healthiest environment possible, which is, is made up primarily of your relationship with your primary caregiver, whether that be your parent or a grandparent or um, whatever the situation is in which you grow up. Um, but there are other forces in your life that also will impact that. But why don't you talk about what secure attachment is and just maybe unpack the language of attachment, secure versus insecure, and then so they kind of a framework to understand the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so, um, and I think we have some slides to go with this, but when we talk about attachment, um, we're talking about the way that as a young child, you learned to do relationship. Um, and in a situation where a parent is able 
and ready and uh, can meet both the physiological needs of a child or the instrumental needs, but also their emotional needs, then that is, is the basis for secure attachment. And so um, the good news is that that happens for most people. Um, again, doesn't mean that parents did slide. it perfectly, but um, for the, but that the pattern for that child, and this happens within the first couple of years of life. And so this is the way that um, a That's young child it. learns. Hang on a oh. second. That's not it. All right. The, it, should be, it should be labeled friending four. I may not have pulled that down. And Hold on just uh, a yeah, we're not doing a homeowners association today. <laughs> Do you find a friending four? Okay, go to the next slide. That, yeah. that, is, that is not it. You keep talking, I'll be right back. <laughs> now for my other sermon. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this, when we when we talk about secure attachment, we're talking about, and and I'm glad you mentioned that, Jessica, because when I say instrumental needs, I'm talking about those needs of having food on the table, providing clothing, a home to live in, um, and so parents who are good at meeting instrumental needs are always going to have food for their children. They're going to come to their sporting events. They're going to um, be there in all those ways of getting them to school and those types of things. Um, but in secure attachment, when that is developed early in life, what it also means is that emotional needs are met for that child. And so when there are times of fear, or um, hurt, emotional hurt, or um, frustration, even anger, that those emotions are met with some understanding and with um, an ability to respond to those emotions. And so when secure attachment is there early on in those first couple of years of life, some important things develop for that child. And so when we think about um, a young child, you think about how you were as a baby or your own children as babies. The way that babies express a need is to cry, right? And so the caregiver comes and meets that need. And so a child is comforted by food, nurturing, warmth. And so hundreds and thousands of times within the first or those early years of life, needs are met over and over and over again until that child learns, I have a voice. When I have a need and it is expressed, I have someone I can trust who's going to meet that need for me. And so, as you can imagine and, and understand, this is a critical period of development for children. And so, if a young child has that type of experience, then what they're learning in those first couple of years of life is, I am worthy 
of care. I must be a pretty important person that every time I cry or express a need, my mom, my dad, my person, whoever that is, is there for me to meet that need. So the lessons of those early years are I can trust. I can trust that my needs will be met. I can trust that I am a valuable and worthy person. I'm worthy of care. What also develops out of that secure attachment is autonomy, right? I I have the confidence and the independence to venture out, to try some new things because I'm secure. I have a relationship with my person who's going to be there and who loves me and will care for me and meet my needs. Okay. I'm going to shift a bit so I can see the slides. Okay. So do you want to talk about the alternatives? Then what happens? Because even if 60% or 50% um, are experiencing secure attachment, there's still a significant number of people that are not. And what happens when something goes wrong? And and even, I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, even of those that experience secure attachment can still struggle with other attachment issues throughout their life. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely true. And we're not by any means going to say that this covers every... Um, challenge or issue that might come up in life. I think we've also got to think about this in terms of a spectrum, right? You're not either way over here or way over there. Um, and so the point of this is really to do some internal reflection. I know what it has done for me as a parent is it has helped me to take a look at, um, you know, what my background was and how that impacts my responses to my children. And um, the other thing I'd like to mention is that these patterns are neither good nor bad. They just are. <laughs> they are what, they are how we started life. They are, they are the lessons that we learned in how relationships work. And so the work from this point is in learning about what, what messages I may have gotten that I don't necessarily want to continue or to repeat. And so what work do I need to do? What reflection, what questions do I need to ask myself? Um, where do I need to work on these things? And also, I loved the, that the scripture this morning had the component that we are to bear with one another in love. So how do I bear with others around me who may have had some insecure, some unhealthy patterns in their early years. And so we're going to talk about what this looks like in adulthood um, as well. Okay. Next slide. So the first um, insecure attachment style is avoidant attachment. And what that looks like is a parent who is really good at meeting all of those instrumental needs, the food, the clothing, the um, caring for you when you're sick, um, but may not be comfortable with those emotional needs, right? And so um, from early on, a child who has a more avoidance um, attachment pattern 
will learn that they need to handle those kinds of big feelings on their own. And so this is a child who actually can look super independent, um, you know, turns to toys and other things as even a, a little one because they've learned the lesson. My caregiver, my person is not super comfortable with big emotions. And so I need to handle those types of things on my own. And so again, this is, this is an organized attachment style. It is a pattern that happens for many people. Um, and I will say that this is more of my own personal history. And so what I've begun to realize is that um, in my parenting, you know, some things that seemed very natural to me were um, strategies like, okay, if you're really angry um, as a child, because growing up, that expression of anger was treated as disrespect, and so um, I carried on that same strategy of, okay, if you're angry, you go to your room and manage that until you've calmed down, and then you can come back. And so um, in learning about this, this is one reason I, I feel so thankful, because even though this is my history and this is my, my pattern that I learned early on, I can step back and reflect and I have since gone even to my older children and changed things with Malia to say to them, I just want you to know it is okay to not be okay. I don't ever want them to feel like they have to go away from me when they're having these big emotions and big feelings. And so one thing that I wanted to emphasize today is that um, since we're all on a journey, and since we may even have adult children that we're looking back and thinking, ooh, I might, you know, I might have carried more of, you know, my own early years over than I, than I would like to. It is never too late for healing. It is never too late to go back to the people in our lives and say, you know what, I am sorry I was doing what I knew to do at the time, but this is where I wish I had done this differently. Will you forgive me? TBRI, um, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, has a um, kind of a core quote that actually in, in our relationships, it's better to err and repair than to never err at all. And so to have a person in your life that you're in relationship with who would come to you and ask for forgiveness and ask for a redo, ask to try this again, um, is, is really, really powerful. And so as you're listening to some of this, I hope you'll, you'll take that message to heart um, because a big piece of this and a big piece of the work and the reflection is to give some grace to yourself and maybe to your own parents as well. Um, you know, as we talk through this. Did you um, mention, because uh, I may have missed it when you went up there, that the most basic, fundamental um, gift of secure, secure attachment is the ability to recognize that the people you're around are safe people who will meet your needs if you have needs. You mm -hmm. shared that? Well, that, that trust is the lesson of those first couple of years of life. Yeah, mm -hmm. that I can trust that those uh, 
or especially my my main person, my main people will meet my needs. Yeah, and that that trust and that worldview, even I mm-hmm. guess you could say, creates a foundation for the way to build healthier relationships, not only with your own children one day, but with your spouse and with your friends mm-hmm. and with the people you work with. Are they safe? Are they? Can I, do I trust people? Are people ultimately trustworthy? Or are they not ultimately trustworthy? One of the things, I, I wrote down a quote. Um, it wasn't from Dr. Purvis, but, but someone speaking about her said that when we look at our children who are going through these insecure attachments, the question that they ask is, is that child giving you a hard time or is that child having a hard time? Mm. So that if something has has short-circuited through this process where we are intended to grow in a trusting, healthy relationship, the, the, the child may be acting out in ways that are not meant to just be hard to deal with and to be difficult, but instead themselves are struggling. And so um, perhaps the, avo- uh, the um, avoidant attachment, we could easily look at them and think, they're just giving me a hard time, when in reality they're, st- they're still learning how themselves to even have a hard time. How do they regulate having a hard time? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, I st- am I saying something that's true? I think so. Okay. And well, I that's, think um, that's good enough. If we can go on to what what happens that child who is growing up with an avoidant um, attachment pattern will um, well, sorry, I thought the the next was what the adult then, those characteristics are, they become a um, what we call a dismissive adult. And so the tendency there is to push those big feelings down deep inside, right? Or if I have those big feelings, to just move those to the side and just not have them. Um, I know um, one thing that sometimes people say to me is, wow, you just you just always kind of seem like that duck on top of the water, just whatever is going on. And then I say, yeah, but if you could see my feet underneath the water, you know, the, um, the, the big feelings are there, but I've had a lot of years of practice in pushing those down or moving those to the side. Um, and so it, it takes, it takes a lot of work to recognize, hold on a minute, it's actually okay to feel anger. It is okay. And, um, and so to, to change those patterns that were learned early on. Oh. So when we think about um, adult attachment, those early experiences are going to directly impact um, and they impact, like Mark said, all of our relationships, but particularly how we're going to in turn parent our children. Um, Do you want to go back to the... Yeah. yeah. So with ambivalent attachment, this would be um, a situation where the child's physical and emotional needs are met, but inconsistently. And so a child in this type of situation isn't ever quite sure if the needs are going to be met or not. And so one potential um, situation where this could happen would be with a parent who struggles with addiction. And so perhaps if, um, let's say, you know, alcoholism, and so perhaps if this parent is sober 
they are actually really good and can meet those emotional and physical needs. But if they aren't, if they are, you know, drunk or high on substance, they are unavailable to the child. And so the child's strategy for a situation like this is um, can appear to be very needy and can because they they're not ever sure is this going to be a situation where my needs can be met or is it not and so I better keep myself um, front and center of my caregiver's attention I'm fussing I'm crying this is the this is the young child who when the when the parent comes in they want to be held and picked up but then they may also push away from their child. So it's an, it's an ambivalent, it's an uncertain um, attachment pattern. But yet the needs are met enough that the child knows there's a chance. There's a chance that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. And so the characteristics that we then see for the adult style of this for relationships is um, what is called preoccupied or entangled. And so uh, if you come from this pattern or this background, then your tendency may be to, um, again, you're not secure in those relationships necessarily, and so I need to always be checking in to, to see, are we good? Are we good? Are we secure? Um, this might be the person who texts you, and if you don't text back within 30 minutes, they're thinking, did I do something? Did I say something wrong? Is she mad at me? And so they are um, just over-processing what they might have done or, or might need to do in order to, to fix this relationship. And so um, there's, a, there's a difficulty there with feeling secure. Or you mentioned, I think, this is the attachment that if a child just wants to be the center of attention all the time, the desire to keep attention so that if I can keep it, when I do need something, it will be available to me. But if I lose it, I may or may not get it back. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. How about the next um, next slide? So the disorganized attachment is really different from the first three different from secure, avoidant, and um, ambivalent. And the reason is that this one is not organized. There is not a consistent pattern. And the reason for that is that the caregiver who is supposed to be the one to meet my physical needs, my emotional needs, may also be the person who's harming me. And so we actually, thankfully, have a very small percentage of our population that, that falls into this category. But these are our children from hard places. These are our children who um, have been through neglect, who have been through abuse, um, and or, or even trauma in you know, outside of early childhood could also fall into this category. By no means do I claim to be um, an expert. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. But um, it, there is not in this system a clear strategy that a child has for having their needs met because the very person, you know, who is supposed to care and nurture could come back and harm them. And so um, without some intensive help and work through this, it's going to be, th this type of trauma is going to obviously impact every single relationship and experience. And 
you you told me this all there's always some type of abuse here in this type of attachment disorder there's always physical abuse emotional abuse sexual abuse Se- some type neglect, of yes, severe or, neglect or just trauma in general yes yes Mm-hmm. It is. It is possible. It's possible that, um, you know, even if you go back to the example we were discussing before where a parent is intoxicated, um, it may be an, a more ambivalent situation if they're intoxicated and they just can't meet the child's needs. It's a different situation when they're intoxicated if they are abusive or harmful. And so this is, this is very complex stuff, right? But I think for our purposes today, because you could spend days-long workshops on all of this, is to begin to think through how, how is what you know, may have happened to me early on, how do I bring that into my current relationships? And the good news that we're talking about today is that healing is possible for everyone. And I am so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that we can come to Christ with, with our background and, and we can ask him for guidance on what do I need to work on. And that may mean both prayer and spiritual work and professional help as well. And so I, I want us to, to be very aware that particularly if you have experienced trauma in your background, if that is not something that you have worked through with professional help, I would really encourage you to seek that out. Dr. Purvis would describe trauma, early trauma or trauma at any point in your life, almost as a mask that you look through and every relationship and every experience you have is experienced through that lens of your trauma. And um, certainly working through that doesn't make it go away, but it makes it so that you can be aware of what your responses are and how you want to learn some new skills in, in building relationships with others. Yes. Yep, that's absolutely true. We know for young children, if they are witnessing um, violence or if, you know, a, a person who is being abused cannot, is not then able to turn around and provide care. Um, for others. And so that is another situation where that disorganized attachment pattern can develop, can develop where the caregiver, you know, is threatened or in harm themselves. Is there anything else about these types you'd like to discuss? We go on to the lens. Yeah, I think for time we probably should move on. Okay, so one of the reasons we're doing this and there in this series on relationships is because of that mask that in which we view other relationships with. And I, 
I do think it it would be maybe before we do that though. So there could be some parents in here today thinking, "What have I done wrong? <laughs> I've totally messed up my kids." And um, especially if we ever see any of these patterns that have developed within them, can you just for a, a minute talk about how to move from insecure attachment back toward secure attachment? Kind of what that looks like and um, and yeah, also maybe relieve some tension that if they did not attend to their child at some point that they're, they haven't completely failed their children. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jonathan, can you move on through to the next slide? Keep going. So I'd like to... I'd like to highlight this. First of all, I want to say that for those of us who grew up with a more insecure pattern of attachment, this is not on purpose, right? And so one thing that's been very freeing for me um, is to be able to, number one, look back and say, you know what? My parents, they were doing the best they knew to do with the information that they had and the tools that they had. They were likely, you know, redoing the environments that they had they had grown up in. This will be our default. This is how we learned to do relationships. So it will be our default unless we, you know, we work on some things. So, um, but if you're wondering, you know, am I secure? Do I have a secure uh, attachment style? This, these are some things to take a look at and think about in your own life. Are you able to give care, but also are you able to receive care? Se- adults with secure attachment, with, with trust, are able to ask for help when they need it. And um, I, with my dismissive history, I tend to approach things as an, I've got this, I can handle this, Um, I've got to handle this on my own, right? Because that's what I learned early on, or that's the message I received, whether that message was intentional or not. Um, I don't believe it was, but that was the message that I received. Um, A person with secure attachment can negotiate their needs. They can ask for what they need rather than expecting everyone to just know what they need. And then lastly, with secure attachment, when I feel secure and I feel safe and trusting, I can venture out and and try things and, and have that independence. So I think this can be helpful in thinking about where do I want to grow? Um, it, it's not all that important that we dwell on mistakes from the past that maybe our parents made or whatever. I, I don't want to get into that. I think um, I think acknowledgement and then forgiveness and letting it go is really important. But, but looking honestly at what do I need to work on um, in my life to, to improve relationships in my home, in my family, and with others. So as we look through this lens of how it's it's how we see ourselves, you you know you will not grow if you don't have a healthy sense of self-reflection. Like if you don't ever stop and ask yourself why I do the things I do, you will never grow. Um, it's one of the things we tend to avoid. 
I think I've shared with you in the past, when we first started Journey, we used to say all the time, come as you are, exactly as Paul described it. Uh, but don't stay that way. Don't stay that way. And we, we found that a whole lot of people want to come as they are, but they also want to stay that way and just be accepted for the way they are. Well, well, that acceptance may be part of the solution for their growth, but without healthy self-reflection and my own personal need to grow, we will not grow. And, and so there is a place where we have to view ourselves, but there's also a way, if we're going to be the church, we have to view others through a healthier lens than we sometimes do. And just like the child who needs to stay, to have your attention all the time, and you feel like they're just a really selfish child. I mean, they're just really a lot of drama, a lot of real selfish. They're just got some real character flaws in this child. You'll look at that child differently if you look at that child and say, at some point along the way, they learned that unless they did all these things to keep your attention, you wouldn't be there for them. Now, can you see how we would approach someone differently through two different lenses? We approach you and say, you're doing this on purpose. You're just a bad kid. You just need a lot of drama. You're just, being, you're just making life hard for us versus they are, they are scared to death that I won't be here for them when they need me. And so they're going to capture my attention and keep it as long as they can. Can you, can you see how we would approach someone differently based on the lens by which we view them? And as we as we look through the Old and New Testament scriptures, like the, one of the one of the primary purposes of the church is not just that we come together and sing and that we learn the Bible and things like that, but we are actually agents of redemption for a broken world. So so we are here to be Christ's presence in this world to let them know that. You, there is hope and health available to you. This fear that you're not enough and that you don't have value and that people around you won't be there for you, you don't have to live that way. But it requires that there are people with secure attachment because you, one of the things you said to me was health is possible, healing is possible, but it requires a healthy relationship to allow that healing from unhealthy relationships to grow. That's a great point. You know, relational trauma can actually only be healed through secure and healthy relationship, right? Relationship with God, but also relationship um, with others. So it requires healthy relationships to to build that healing. Yeah. Um, some of the I just some of the the places in scripture I wrote down that just came to mind as Deidre and I were talking about this. Um, one is the, the greatest commandment and the second one, love others like yourself. Who of us doesn't approach a relationship wanting people to understand us? Not, you know, we all at some point are going to act out in an unhealthy way. And don't we all want others to look at us and forgive us for those things? recognizing there's more to us than this messed up way I acted in this relationship. We love others the way that we ourselves want to be loved. I want to be understood. I want to be given grace. I want you to look beyond the, the mask I've put up. I want you to see into who I am. If we're going to be the church, we don't just engage with a community that does that for us. We ourselves engage in a way that looks for that in other people. This is very different than a lot of people approach church, which is what does the church have to offer me? 
this is when we talk about what do I have to offer the church. Sometimes we may think it's it's uh, leading worship or preaching or running slides or something, but it's also um, sitting across the table in a coffee shop saying, I'm here for you even when you're pushing me away. Um, other places I, I, that came to, to mind in Scripture was um, Jesus talking about um, on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, when you look at the sins of others, um, remove the log in your own eye before you worry about the splinter in somebody else's eye. In other words, um, next week we're going to talk about being a friend and then dealing with toxic relationships because ultimately I think part of the, the second greatest commandment is be a friend. I think if we were to rephrase it, be a, be a, a God-centered friend. Um, but whenever we do that and whenever we engage within those um, relationships, uh, there's a place where I've got to look beyond your sin and your problems and recognize I have my own. <laughs> I have my own brokenness. And there's not a one of us who is not toxic at some point um, in a relationship. And so when we look at others and we recognize they're being toxic, we can look at them with understanding and compassion and grace. And, you know, one of the things we also discussed, uh, or we do, you know, one of the things Deidre can do to make me mad right away is tell me that I'm acting like my dad. And that makes me mad. Does anybody else have that issue? Yeah, and if I want to set her off, I'll tell her you're acting like your mom. And <laughs> it's true. on. Like, it is on <laughs> at that point. So we don't, we rarely exercise, you know, those buttons those deepest of most hurtful buttons, but there's that's one. There's a reason I think that that's so hurtful to us, is because we do recognize there were some unhealthy patterns there, but in all likelihood we're propagating some of those patterns that we learned. And to be fair to mom and dad, who mom and dads in here would like for us to be fair to mom and dads, they were propagating patterns that they that were demonstrated to them. You had a story you felt was very um, um, applicable, a scriptural story that you thought was very applicable to this whole concept. And I, I can read it if you want, or if you just want to share and talk about it, you can. That's okay. I, I was just sharing with Mark, when I think about, um, you remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought to Jesus. And just knelt down and I think he wrote something in the dirt and then he said, to all those who were standing around, okay, you know, those of you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And gradually everyone went away. I think what he was really saying there, and, and you know, of course, he had knowledge and understanding that we don't always have, but he could see some brokenness in her life. He could see maybe the pathway that led her to where she was. He wasn't just focused on behavior. And we, I, as a parent, have at times been too focused on behavior and not the need behind the behavior. And so in you know, I love that lens and and for a moment Jesus helped all the ones who were standing around to look through that lens too. You've got your own brokenness, right? And so um, I know Mark next week is going to talk about boundaries. That, you know, wh what we're not saying is that we just 
you know, we, we are going to approach each person in our lives with compassion and grace, understanding that they have brokenness like we do. Doesn't mean that we don't set some boundaries when that's needed. So that's, that's coming up next week. Um, so don't think that's, that's where we're going here. But I think the lens through which Jesus saw people was to see and not focus on their behavior, but on the needs that were behind the behavior. Yeah, I, I think of the, um, I think of Jesus saying, "You should forgive your neighbor," and uh, the disciples saying, "You know, I mean, how how many times? Every time. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. Every time you you are to forgive. This is the the lens by which Jesus was constantly trying to get us to." View people differently when you were god created us and we were made very good you know when we think about um the necessity of jesus's death on the cross the necessity is that every one of us is very broken like there there may be 50 60 and (laughs) are are more percent with secure attachment but there's a hundred percent of us that are broken in some ways and one of the things i i i brought up to deidre we were talking about this was you know i one of the, I think one of the breaking moments in life happens in middle school, right? I, so a lot of the, the trust-based relational intervention is, and these, um, these different attachment, um, secure versus insecure attachment, are learned very early, a year, year and a half old. You know, if I cry, will you pick me up? <laughs> uh, they're learned very early, but we are learning our people safe our entire lives. Um, but how, you know we can we can enter into marriage and try to understand our spouse based on this but we can also if we're not married enter into who am I going to date and who am I going to marry also based on what do I see happening here you know there are all kinds of ways for us to practice compassion and grace it is it is my firm belief uh that for the church there is a uh, there is a way of doing church. We come to church, we sing, we listen to a sermon or an interview, or uh, we read scripture and we do whatever. There's a way of doing church, but then there's a way of being the church. And I will tell you, being the church is way harder than doing church. It's way harder because you go to people that will hurt you. You go to people that will want all of your attention. And that, and I, you know, they'll text you and want to know five minutes later. Hey, I, why don't, why don't you, why haven't you responded to my text? And that will get highly annoying. And then you'll be like, I'm done. I'm not responding anymore. Or you can say, There's something. There's a thing behind the thing here. And I need to see the thing behind the thing. That's what Jesus saw. Because that exchange with with the woman caught in adultery is so. It seems so opposite of everything in the Old Testament up until that moment. Jesus is saying, I am here for the thing behind the thing. And if you're going to be my disciples and you need to forgive, you should forgive. And then not just forgive at some point, but forgive right away. Because I want you to see that there is something special in every person that walks the face of the planet. And we all are broken in different ways, 
There should not be another body on the face of the planet as welcoming and as loving as than the church. There should not be. And all of you know as well as I do that there have been times the church has not been viewed as loving nor accepting. So one of the things that we are going to have to struggle with um, over these next few months, and honestly, next few years, is what does it look like for us to recognize that we have a place in this world as the church, but our place is not simply to come and do worship, not just to come and learn the Bible, not just to come and do some good at the food pantry or wherever, but is actually in every person that we come in contact with, we are agents of redemption, to say there's a thing behind the thing for you and I'm going to show you you are loved and you are valuable, not just to me, but to the God who created you. And if we can begin to view this, it's not that we have to become experts in, in uh, TBRI. <laughs> we don't have to become experts in this because I, don't, I doubt there's a single person in here that something didn't trigger in your mind, oh, that's maybe why I'm the way I am or why somebody's the way they are. But um, Deidre and I, we, we joke, I joke, Deidre doesn't joke. Moms don't joke about this stuff. Dads joke about stuff moms don't joke about. But I joke about the fact, yeah, we keep a, we keep a counseling fund for all our kids <laughs> so that whenever they grow up and they need to undo all the ways we messed them up, they'll have uh, some resources to do that. You know, we're not perfect parents. You're not perfect parents. Part of the gospel tells us you were never expected to be perfect parents. But there are ways we can grow and we can do better. And there are people we can look at their lives and we can say, you are really annoying. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you to death. I mean, not literally. Sometimes we think we're going to love somebody to death. We really do want to kill them. But I'm going to love you to death. I'm going to, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be here for you. Is there someone in our, your life like in this very moment, maybe a face just popped into your mind that they need you as an agent of redemption for Jesus Christ to go and love them because they just don't have many people loving them. Is there somebody? I think it's also very possible that there are some of us in this room and we are not thinking in that way. What do I have to offer? We are thinking... I just wish somebody would see the thing behind the thing in me. And I just wish somebody would love me. Just love me. Even when I know I do things that are unlovable, I just wish someone would love me. Can I just tell you, I mean, that's a church I get excited about. When a person who's living life in that way walks into the doors, and then there, there is an army of people. That's not even a great description. But there is a, a wealth of people we're we're here to love you. Now next week we are going to talk about um, toxicity, and we are going to approach it from the the reality that we all bring some talk, level of toxicity into our relationships. There are sometimes I'm really a, just a jerk at home. I mean it's very rare. Would don't, don't answer. Don't don't answer. Um, <laughs> I'll be I'll be here after for stories right up here in the front. Um, we all bring toxicity into every relationship at some point. 
And one of the the ways we the way we ended last week, um, maybe this is a way we can end it again this week. Is how do we live this out? Just like physicians practice medicine, we have to practice living in this way. And so we can practice in the people who are around us. And ultimately, what I would love is to have. I would love to have people connecting outside of church and grabbing coffee and practicing this kind of viewing each other differently in this way. Getting to the thing behind the thing. And let me, also, let me, let me be careful. Don't, don't become crack psychologists where you, you sit across the room or across the table from someone and someone's telling you something and you go, oh, I know what happened to you. Your parents didn't love you. Like, don't do that. That is not helpful nor healthy. But how can you practice this? Deidre and I have made adjustments to the way we parent over the years, and we'll continue to make parents because we're going to be parenting for a very long time. Maybe you look at some of your flaws as a parent. And you recognize, I could have done some things differently. Maybe you need to give yourself a break. You were doing the best you could. We're doing the best we know how to do. And then when we realize there's something we could have done better, we try to do better. So maybe give yourself a break. Maybe you've got a parent and you're like, I can't stand my parent. My parent broke me. I know they broke me. Maybe we need to look with some eyes of fresh eyes of compassion to that parent to say something broke them long before they broke me. And I'm just going to tell you these these are the hard things about following Jesus. Not singing songs about Jesus loving everyone. It's not even showing up and unboxing food boxes to hand out to a hungry people. These are the things that we're called to that are hard. But if we do them, we bring health to hurting people. And that is what God is on a mission to do and has been from that day long ago in the garden. To bring health to a hurting people. To restore them to a place with Him that He always intended for us to be. And to begin to unravel the wounds of hurt and abuse and trauma that we all carry in some way. All right, I'm going to give you the last word. Do you have any other last words? And then we're going to I think the quote that's just coming out to me from my notes, so I'll repeat it one more time, is it's better to err and repair than to never err at all. So if there is a wound that you need to forgive or um, if we're sitting in this room today, we have the opportunity to repair with someone, whether that's our child, a friend, a spouse. And so um, that would be my encouragement is that we give grace to ourselves and we, we give grace to others and remember that um, that healing is possible. All right, would you all thank Deidre um, for sharing all this with us and uh, for putting up with me. It's a big effort for her to put up with me. She's got to practice a lot of this stuff with me. So uh, 
Um, all right. Um, I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to have our closing song. And um, I'm not sure what happened to our offering basket. Um, if you like to give an offering today, there's a large basket on the door as you walk out. Um, if you would just drop it in that basket, you can do that. Or you can give online as well. well let's pray, and then we'll close with our um, final song of worship. Father, uh, God, you are so good. And you don't abandon us even when we abandon you. You love us. You're there in a moment's uh, notice. You're there when we call, even when we have avoided you or ignored you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to love each other in the same way that you've loved us. Not just that you gave your life for us, although... What a gift of love you have given us in doing that. But you loved us even when we were unlovable. You loved us and are giving this gift of grace and compassion even though we're broken ourselves. And while we were yet sinners, you still died for us. I thank you that we don't have to be perfect to approach you. I, I pray we would be a people that just mimic that kind of love to the people we're around. They don't have to be perfect for us to love them. I pray for those that are, and I pray for those that may be listening to this today, and they are struggling with that most disorganized of attachments that we discussed, one that is born in pain and abuse and significant trauma, and they fear they, they will never whole or be able to love someone or be loved themselves. And yet, God, you made Lazarus get out of the grave. You can restore brokenness. I pray for relationships in this room that right now are going through a, a period of brokenness. And they're about to give up on this relationship because they're just not sure it's possible that they can ever be happy or whole or healthy again. And yet, God, you, you walked out of a tomb. Father, give us a hope and a belief, confidence that this thing you're wanting to do in us, among us and through us, is significant and supernatural. You're, you've gifted us your spirit so that it, it will be done if we will allow you to work in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes of compassion for the people that we bump into, for the people we live with, that we do life with. For the people at times we go to church with, give us, give us that lens of compassion to see the thing behind the thing and to say, I'm going to love you even if you are being very hard to love in this moment because I know something happened to you. I want you to know you were loved. So Father, I pray that you would help us all in all different places this morning. to radiate the love of Christ, to be the church in this place and in the places that we go. We will be the church and others will find redemption as a result of finding you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.